the harshest of operating conditions. Large-scale investment, planning, and commitment places the offshore sector in a league all on its own, where the stories of people aren't found anywhere else. From safety to operations to new technology, we look to break down this often mystified industry and shed light into the unknown. You're listening to the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast with your host, Andy Lash. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, where we are making waves in the oil and gas industry. We have got another fantastic guest on with us today. We have SGV International. So we're going to learn about all the great things they're doing in the industry and how they are helping people propel their business forward. Before we get too far into it, of course, we want to thank our sponsor. They have been the sponsor from the very beginning of the show. They have seen us all the way through till now. I think we're on episode 37, so we are very thankful to them, and that is Tidewater. Tidewater owns and operates the largest fleet of offshore support vessels in the industry with over 60 years of experience supporting offshore energy exploration and production activities worldwide. If you're interested in support for your maritime operations, you can learn more about Tidewater through their website at tdw.com. As always, too, we like to hear what you think about the show. So if you enjoy this show, please take a few minutes, leave us a review and comment on iTunes or wherever you receive this content. It truly is the best way to support the show and help us reach more listeners and make the corrections that you want to hear so that you can enjoy this show more. All right. On the show today, we have Richard Lindley. Richard, how are you doing? Thank you for coming out. Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We are still, all these shows are done remotely, of course, because of good old COVID. Where are you at today, Richard? I am in Houston, at home in Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas is a common, common location for our guests. I know the city well, lived there for the last five, six years. Are you a Houston native? I am a native. I am third generation Houstonian. Wow. Okay. okay. If, you, if you stretch that a little bit, I guess you could consider me sixth generation Houstonian. Stretch it how? Just like a county. If you go, you know, if you include one county north of Harris County, then I'll, I'll go six generations back. I'll let it slide. We'll give All you right. six. We'll give you six generation. I think that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Richard, you are with SGV International. And we're going to be talking about kind of a familiar topic to the show, but but a different angle. And that's going to be data, right? right? So we're going to learn a lot about data and, and how SGV International is, is helping with that in the industry. But why don't we just start with a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got where you are. All right. So, yeah, I've been in kind of oil field technology field for uh, about 20 years. The last 15, I've been with SGV International. And for the last 10 or so years... I've been working in the area of implementation, you know, delivery and port of real-time data monitoring systems, and I've uh, been working in monitoring centers for deep water drilling, so onshore monitoring centers where uh, well-controlled parameters are monitored, you know, for safety and performance. Okay, so the control center, I mean, the monitoring and control center, so I'm sure you'll just give everybody visualization. I'm sure you've got technicians or, you know, employees watching different monitors and kind of watching stats, you know, kind of like I would envision in my mind, like an air traffic control kind of. Actually, 
Yeah, or a mission control kind of kind of situation. There are, you know, these centers, there are experts. Basically, you know, they're, they're like mud loggers, like onshore mud loggers, monitoring well-controlled parameters. And there are also engineers in these centers, typically, as well as geologists. So they're all, you know, they're all monitoring different facets of the drilling operations. Okay. Now, these are all jobs and duties that at one point in time, maybe not even that long ago, those were all done actually offshore on the drilling vessels themselves, correct? That's correct. I'd say in the last 10 years or so, there's been sort of a shift, if you will, to remote monitoring. These roles are still performed offshore, but I guess these onshore monitoring centers are more of a kind of a complementary role. They're able to provide kind of a third barrier for monitoring of you know, well control information. And then there are some complementary kind of operations efficiency roles as well. Okay. No, I can understand that. And, you know, it's like someone onshore who's looking at data coming in in real time from, can look at data coming in from multiple rigs, you know, and they can really focus on certain parameters or areas of concern for certain operations. You know, they don't have a, you know, it's not a paging system. They're not in a, in a mud logging unit or anything like that. So, they're able to, you know, kind of really focus on key areas for the operation. Okay, I can understand that. No, that helps with that uh, quite a bit. So you've spent on, I think you said, about the last 10 years working in these types of centers. And is that still where you live today? Is that your main focus day in and day out? Absolutely. Yeah, 24 by 7 by 365. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> I understand. I live a similar life. <laughs> yeah, and my day job is 24 7, 365 as well. So, okay. So now with that, that center is kind of primary receiver of data, right? Massive amounts of data. And you've already touched on how there's operational efficiency gains and complementary support to those offshore operations on how that data is leveraged. But that data doesn't just show up, right? And something that takes a lot of work to get that data, no matter who it is, takes a lot of work to get it onshore, especially in real time. You're correct. You know, to gather that data offshore and transport it onshore and visualize it, you know, that's a pretty big workflow there. So where does that start? And if you wanted to kind of touch on any more of those those drivers that might frame this conversation a little better, I'm, I'm happy to go down those discussion points as well. But but really, where does this start when when we start looking at the data that's coming from the drill ship and how we can, you know, leverage that in real time? So I mean, it starts with the sensors, you know, on a rig, top side, both top sides and downhole. There are various service companies on a drill rig, mud logging, MWD, cement, you know, well test, wireline, coil tubing, managed pressure drilling, and then, of course, the rig control system itself. I think that's a pretty good sampling of the various kind of data sources, but that's where the data originates. And then, you know, this data has to be kind of ingested all into one system, or that's one way to do it. I mean, there there are different ways to skin the cat, but, you know, kind of the way I'm, I'm most familiar with is, is trying to aggregate this data at least to one point on the rig before you then transport that data onshore somewhere. Okay, because all those different items that you talked about, the different companies, the different service groups, or the different sensors, they don't all speak the, la- the same language, right? Like, And that's coding or file language, right? 
I, that's correct. They're typically not the same companies, although sometimes, you know, that does happen. But typically they, I mean, if you have five different service companies that you want to see data for on the rig, you know, it's a pretty safe bet that it's going to be five, but they're not going to be, you know, working for the same company themselves. So yeah, their systems don't always they don't always act, you know, talk to each other as a rule. Sure, sure. So kind of, let's say, like a legacy process, if you want to handle that, I mean, you kind of would have to do that through just, just human means and say, okay, here's five different systems, dashboards, visualization tools, and then that human is looking at each one and making business decisions from five different origins or they can find a tool that commingles and gets that language to all talk to each other, right? That's right. And you can get it on shore to a wider audience as well. Okay, gotcha. So, you know, we have multiple different origins and types of data too, right? It's not just, it's just not all the same. It's not all pressure readings. It's not all sp- you know, flow rates, right? There's probably many different types of data, let alone the different types of, let's just say, language in which it's being captured. You're right again. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's not all pits, flow rates, and pressures. It kind of the next level is some of the data is time based, some's depth based. Some of the data are actually message objects, you know, that, that, that complement that depth based or time based data. And then the protocols or the, you know, I guess the program, programmatic language, if you will, it, that this data is transferred in, they're typically different as well. Okay. Yeah, I would expect that. And that all adds complexity and operational hurdles on handling that data, of course. So we've kind of, you know, I touched on some examples and stuff, but with all these different hurdles and complexities, how are companies handling these issues today? One way to handle the issue is to have, like we were talking about a minute ago, to have the, all the data kind of ingested by a single source on the rig and then moved off the rig to a similar system that can visualize that data so that they can then, you know, analyze it or monitor it in real time. And then there's a, you know, another elephant in the room, which is Gulf of Mexico deep water drilling operations are required to have uh, remote monitoring capabilities. Oh, okay. So that's kind of some of that, you know, the complementary support on shore. It's adding business efficiency, but it's also meeting a regulatory compliance issue where you have to have that redundancy. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now you touched on, you know, these companies are taking this data and They're either handling it in individual streams or they're using some type of service or system to commingle that data. Now, that's really where, and please correct me where I'm wrong on this, but that's really the where SGC, SGV International lives and with your offering of the RDA rig data aggregator, right? You are one of those solutions to get that data streams into one, you know, all into one place. Yes, that's correct. We do have a rig data aggregation system that we've developed. We, we call it the SGV RDA for rig data aggregator. And it is in use on several drilling rigs, deep water drilling rigs. Okay, so we have touched on a lot of the different hurdles 
as well as the business drivers around just data. And this is something that every business is looking at. Every business is looking at digitizing their data consumption, whether it's through you know, the value add of operational efficiency or like you referenced, the remote monitoring for safety concerns or, you know, performance efficiencies. I mean, all of these different things that come from it. So, you know, SGV and your offering of RDA or rig data aggregator, how does that fit into the mix and where does that fit into kind of these industry hurdles that, that are out there? Okay. So RDA is capable of ingesting any protocol in the industry today. And actually, some protocols that aren't being used across the energy industry yet, it's able to convert those protocols, you know, into a into a standard WITSML one for one language. WITSML is actually standard and industry wide standard. And then it's able we're able to distribute that data back to shore in a secure fashion. Okay, that makes sense. I think I'm tracking with you. So. I'm just thinking of like a general example for somebody that might not live in those spaces. It's like when you get your Excel and your SVG file mixed up and you, you save it in the <laughs> wrong format. Man, I do that all the time. <laughs> and then, I get, then I get really mad. There's no hope for you, Andy. Just, yeah. <laughs> no, no. But what you're saying is that you're taking all those formats and sounds like you've got some future proofing in there to capture codecs in, in different formats that aren't even in use, and just translating those into a usable format. Yeah, yeah. I mean, RDA, it's service company language agnostic. I mean, it just doesn't, it can handle everything. Going into this, we knew that was that was really important. It can ingest and convert, kind of synthesize this data into one language, and then, you know, transport that data onshore and hand it off to a visualization system, essentially. Okay. Now, let's just talk about, so we've got the ingestion and the transportation of that data. Let's, let's start with the ingestion. Now, Now, one of the things I know that you guys highlighted before the interview was that, that we're talking about raw data, right? And compared to some of the other processes that might have, I don't know the right term, you tell me, you, you're, you're the expert here, but not raw, right? It's got some industry filtering or processing or something yeah. on there that's that's maybe masking the depth of information that the raw data would have through our Yeah, data. we don't we're not massaging anything. We're handing off what we're given so that someone can take ownership of it in its raw form. So what are some of the business benefits there by dealing with raw data compared to not raw or you know massaged as you said? So I think that there's been a lot of interest in the industry around ownership of the data. Right. And if you're going to own something, I think a lot of people would rather own the original. I guess that's a good way to put it. Okay. So that makes sense. So rather than having a filtered, abridged version, you want the full encyclopedia rather than the cliff notes. Yeah. No cliff notes here. Yeah. No cliff notes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That helps. Okay. Now that we have this raw data, we have ingested all these different formats and languages and all these different feeds, you know, RDA has been able to bring those into a central point. Now we're talking about 
the transportation of that data. So how does that fit into RDA and that offering to the industry? You know, we're versatile, but one way we can do it is we can set up our own network to not only to transport it, but to, to ingest it. I mean, you, you have to connect to these service companies on the rig and you have to do it in a way that can be supported remotely is always good. And that's where, you know, that's really has one of the niches that we work in supporting these kind of field networks in difficult environments like a drilling rig. And so, yeah, I mean, that's how you, you know, you integrate, if you will, the data sources, service companies into this, this network. And then, you know, you can set up a virtual private network from, from that rig or, you know, over the internet through an internet service provider, whoever, you know, depending on what region or what other services that rig may have contracted back to shore, either directly to the customer or back to SGV kind of central from where we can hand it off from there. Okay. All right. And it sounds like you're agnostic to that kind of service, right? Because I know just on this show, we've we've talked to satellite communications. We've talked to cable, you know, cable networks in the Gulf of Mexico. We've talked to cellular services. I mean, you're able to deal with all those different communication formats. Absolutely. Okay. It's all very important. And how is the current rate and margin environment really, you know, supporting or hindering what, what you guys are doing at, at SGV? I really think it's supporting it. The RDA solution, and we can deliver it at a, at a fraction of the cost of other solutions, I think. And we can do it. I mean, the system itself, like you can hold it in one hand. I mean, it's, you know, if you have a redundant pair, two hands, but it's small, it's compact. You know, we can, if we have to, we can FedEx it somewhere and have someone install it for us and then work with them remotely. And I think kind of all that kind of wouldn't surprise you to hear that, you know, we can, we have really quick turnaround with it. You know, I think that something we think it's coming in the future are kind of rigs of opportunity, if you will, you know, on the horizon, maybe are things like rigs of opportunity, rigs that are available for an oil company to contract, maybe on a short-term basis to clear some work out of their queue, as opposed to some of the longer-term kind of have more, you know, larger investments. With that, I mean, you kind of point on something, and I don't know if the listeners had this same thought or, or if it was just me, but this is both a hardware and a software solution. I was just assuming this is more of a software-based solution, but it sounds like there's there's hardware as well. Yes, yes. It's a small form factor server. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So then all those sensors and feeds and different systems would be funneled into that small, you know, that that server. And then the software and everything that you're running on that server is what's going to prepare that data for the transportation off the rig. Correct. Okay. What is it like for a new customer if say I'm I've got my my offshore rig, I am interested in RDA within our operations. Where does it start and what does that process look like to deploy the solution today? So we'd have to start out with, you know, requirements gathering, trying to, you know, obviously understanding what your goals are and then kind of assess the capabilities, get into kind of site specifics, you know, timelines, service companies, how many feeds we're looking at, and then, you know, kind of deployment strategy, which you're all obviously, you know, is, are all, all built off of those requirements. You know, like I said, we can FedEx the system, you know, I mean, it's like we talked about it is, you know, it's very, a small form factor server that we can actually, you know, ship offshore or we can, we can travel with that system as well. 
or, you know, and, and we can work, you know, either our, our own tech can deploy the system. We can work with an ET. We can work, work with a partner in region, you know, whatever works best for the, for the customer really. Okay. Sounds easy enough. It's just straightforward to work through. Do you have any popular myths or misunderstandings that you combat day to day? Yeah, I guess something that I find that I have sometimes have to remind people of is that there are so many, you know, moving pieces to this thing. And we're really relying upon, you know, a high level of collaboration between people onshore and people offshore. The end user of this data could be, you know, let's just roll of thumb, 20 steps, you know, downstream of where this data originates offshore. And they've got to have that communication kind of feedback loop with the people onshore. And that includes, you know, not just that end user, but the people kind of in the middle, such as ourselves, who are, you know, enabling this flow of real-time data. We have to be in, involved in that loop as well. And that I find that when that's the case, everything really does go really well. Great. No, that's you know, good. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's it's not a fire and forget kind of scenario. There, there sure. is, you know, yeah, it takes work. <laughs> I think all automation has a lot of behind the scenes work going on to keep it running smoothly. You know, just people, when a system just works well, we can quickly become, you know, forgetful of of what goes into supporting something like that. So I understand that. Yeah, that's a myth, but yeah, yeah. Smooth, smooth running takes work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Any major success story that you're, you know, proud of that you'd want to share with the audience? Yeah, sure. Successfully deploying RDA to a region on the other side of the world, we'll say. I mean, literally. And, you know, doing that, you know, deploying it successfully, implementing it, implementing the solution and, and delivering that real-time data back to the customer, you know, and getting it sometimes, you know, facing challenges in that in that region, you know, around... <laughs> political situations, let's just say political unrest, you know, how it kind of opened some eyes on, you know, how that can impact the flow of data, you know, sure. in, in particular regions. And, you know, I think that's something I'm really proud of. Awesome. No, that's good. That is a really good success story. And I'm, I'm aware of the <laughs> different limitations that geopolitical environments can place on just the internet. I've tried to do this show with several guests and we just can't make it work because of where they're calling in from or where we're trying to connect. So, no, kudos to you for getting that done. Cool. Anything else that we didn't touch on? Anything you want to provide the audience about SGB International or RDA? You know, we can be SGB International. We can be contacted at info at com. I guess that's about it. Cool. Sounds good. No, it's been a solid discussion. Good information that we provided the audience. Hopefully, they find some benefit and maybe they can think about how RDA can fit into their data stream and operations and go from there. So thank you again for being a guest. Happy to have you on. To everybody out there, everybody listening, again, we thank you for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a comment or review wherever you receive this content. That greatly helps us out. And we will catch you on the next one. Well, after 36 episodes, this is going to be the last one. As you've heard on many episodes before now, I don't live in the offshore space. This actually helped me a lot in the beginning, and it brought me into the show with a very inquisitive frame of mind and an eagerness to learn. I learned a lot about the offshore space putting on the show up until now. 
that attitude and inquisitiveness served me well. But it is time to turn this over to the pros. As you may remember from a previous show, actually one of my favorite interviews, Ali Sedeno has a podcast of her own, and she has now joined the Oil & Gas Global Network, and she's brought her podcast here with all of us. She lives the offshore space, and she can fill it much better than I can. I urge you to check out her show, Women Offshore. I'm sure you'll be impressed and entertained with the content. Thank you for listening over the last year. If you really liked hearing me on the microphone, I'm actually going to be starting a new podcast, a podcast where I live every day, something that I'm passionate about even more so than the offshore sector. I will soon launch the half-loaded podcast here on the OGGN, and we will be covering everything commercial trucking with a heavy focus on tanker truck work. That's what I live and breathe. Thank you very much for listening to the show. I greatly appreciate all the support. I hope you enjoyed everything, learned a little bit about the offshore space. I know I did. And I hope that you'll continue to listen and, and join Ali Cedeno on her path in the offshore space. And come join me on the Half Loaded. We're going to have a lot of fun over there. And I'm really just getting started in the podcasting world. So thank you, everybody. Here are our events on deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for October 2020. We've got about five events this month, three of which are online, one of which is in person, and one of which is both. First up, we have the Houston Energy Breakfast Virtual Conference on the 6th, which is about embracing the evolving market landscape, and that'll be online. Second, we have Adipec 2020, which is an interactive online event going on from the 9th to the 12th. Third, we have OGGN and API Houston Chapter Presents, the opening of the Deep Cavango Basin, which will be live-streamed directly to LinkedIn and other platforms from the event in downtown Houston on the 10th. Fourth, we have the Energy API 3-Gun Challenge on the 13th, which is in-person at the Ranch Shooting Club in Eagle Lake, Texas. Last, we have the Downstream Leadership Forum, which will be our last event of the month from the 19th to the 20th, and that'll be online. Other than these events, I believe OGGN will be hosting some live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. That's all for November. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasoffshore.com.